Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. The focus of my presentation is uh, breast cancer screening and prevention. The learning objectives are to understand the demographics of breast cancer, to identify the pros and cons of specific screening tests, to be familiar with the current screening recommendations for average risk women from various organizations, to be able to identify risk of breast cancer and high risk, to be familiar with the screening recommendations for high-risk women. The content of this presentation is introductory as far as the level of proficiency. In regards to breast cancer as a disease, it is the most common non-cutaneous cancer in American women with a lifetime probability of 12.4%. It accounts for 30% of female cancers. It is the second most common cause of cancer death in women um, after lung cancer, accounting for 15% of female cancer death. The peak death rate was in 1989, and then it declined significantly by the current period of time because of improvement in early detection and improvement in treatment methods. In 2019, there were 268,600 new cases in women, most of which were invasive cancers. And um, 2,670 cases in men. The estimated deaths in 2019 were 41,760 women and 500 men. What is the probability of developing breast cancer? It varies by age. Um, and uh, of course, the younger the woman, the lower the probability. And as far as the lifetime probability, um, one, one out of every eight women will develop breast cancer during her lifetime. How about the average lifetime risk of dying of breast cancer? Um, that is relatively low, 2.6% um, risk of dying of breast cancer, which accounts for 1 in 39 cases. In regards to the survival rate after a breast cancer diagnosis, um, the current survival rate at five years is 90%. Um, just for comparison, it was 63% in the early 1960s. It is remarkable for localized disease at 98%, and then it decreases to 84% for regional disease and 24% for metastatic disease. The overall 10-year survival rate is 83%, and the 15-year survival rate is 77%. So what are the screening tests that are used to um, 
to detect breast cancer uh, in the earliest possible stage and allow a better um, survival for, for our patient. Breast examination, which can be self-breast examination by the patient and clinical breast examination. Mammography and digital breast tomosynthesis or 3D mammography. Um, and in special cases, we will discuss the value of ultrasound, MRI, and ductal lavage. If you would like to look at the actual guidelines, I include these links to the United States Preventative Service Task Force, American Cancer Society, and American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists. Um, the CDC came up with breast cancer screening guidelines, which are based on all of these publications that I listed, um, and that is the USPSTF uh, guidelines, the American Cancer Society, American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists, radiology groups, um, as well as the American College of Physicians, the American Academy of Family Physicians, which for the most part adopt the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force. The next few uh, slides will summarize um, and uh, compare the recommendations from each individual organization, but then we will discuss that in detail um, along the presentation. So to start with the age group of 40 to 49 with average risk, the USPSTF recommends individualized decision-making between a woman and her provider. Um, for women who place a higher value on the potential benefits rather than the potential harm, they may choose to have a mammogram every two years between the ages of 40 and 49. For the same group of women, the American Cancer Society recommends um, that women older than 45 um, and younger than 50 should get mammograms every year. And for the age group 40 to 44, women should have a choice to start annual breast cancer screening with mammograms if they wish to do so, as long as they understand the risks and benefits. The American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists recommends screening mammogram and clinical breast examination every year. The International Agency for Cancer Research states that there's insufficient evidence to recommend or for or against screening in this age group. The American College of Radiology recommends screening with mammography annually. The American College of Physicians uh, recommends an individualized decision. If a woman decides to go ahead and have mammogram, it should be done every two years. The American Academy of Family Physician also endorse, endorses an individualized decision um, uh, and um, recommends that women may consider to begin screening if they understand the risks and benefits. How about the age group of 50 to 74? For women with average risk, um, the USPSTF recommends a mammogram every two years. The American Cancer Society recommends yearly mammogram between the ages of 50 and 54. And for women 55 and older, they should either have a mammogram every two years or have the choice to continue yearly screening. The American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists recommends a screening mammogram and clinical breast exam annually. 
the International Agency for Research on Cancer recommends uh, screening mammography for women aged 50 to 69 and for women who are older, um, although um, there is evidence that su um, suggests a reduction in the risk of death, there is no current recommendation to screen these women annually. In regards to the college, American College of Radiology, they do recommend an yearly mammogram for women 50 to 74. The American College of Physicians recommends um, every two-year mammogram in average risk women, and the American Academy of Family Physicians endorses the same recommendation. In regards to women who are older than 75, um, the USPSTF states that there's insufficient evidence to assess risks and benefits in this age group. The American Cancer Society recommends that screening be continued for as long as woman is in good health and she is expected to live 10 more years or longer. The American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists recommends an individualized decision um, after a woman consults with her physician. Um, the American College of Radiology states that the screening should stop when life expectancy is less than five to seven years on the basis of age or comorbid condition. The American College of Physicians does not recommend screening in this age group, um, and the American College of American Academy of Family Physicians has the same recommendation as the USPSTF which is um, that the current evidence is insufficient to assess uh, the balance of benefits and harms. How about women with dense breasts on mammogram? Um, the USPSTF um, states that there is insufficient evidence um, to um, recommend adjunctive screening with ultrasound, MRI, or um, digital breast tomosynthesis. Um, and so does the American Cancer Society. It refers specifically to yearly MRI for screening in addition to mammograms. Um, the American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists has the same statement that there's insufficient, ev insufficient evidence, and so does the International Agency for um, Research on Cancer and the American Academy of Family Physicians. In regards to the American College of Radiology, they do recommend consideration for ultrasound in addition to mammography for women with dense breasts. In regards to women at higher than average risk, um, the U.S. Preventative Task Force recommends um, higher um, intensity screening for women beginning in their 40s. The American Cancer Society also recommends um, more um, intense screening, particularly with the addition of mammogram, um, uh, the addition of MRI to the mammogram. The American College of Obstetrician and Gynecologists also recommends um, twice yearly clinical breast exam, of course, the annual mammography, and then annual breast MRI, as well as breast self examinations. Also, for women who receive thoracic radiation for cancer treatment between the ages of 10 and 30, they recommend annual mammogram, annual MRI, um, breast examination by a physician or healthcare provider every 6 to 12 months, beginning 8 to 10 years after the radiation treatment or at age 25. 
The International Agency for Cancer Research recommends mammogram and MRI at an earlier age in these high-risk women. The American College of Radiology uh, recommends annual mammography and MRI starting by age 30, but not before the age of 25. And for women with history of chest radiation between the ages of 10 and 30, they recommend annual mammography and annual MRI started, starting eight years after treatment um, with the um, statement that mammography is not recommended before the age of 25. Additional issues that are addressed in these guidelines um, are the USPSTF um, states that there's no um, evidence to recommend the 3D mammogram or digital breast tomosynthesis over the traditional 2D mammogram. The American Cancer Society adds a statement that women should be familiar with benefits and harms associated with breast cancer screening, and they should also be familiar with the way their breasts look and feel and report any changes to their healthcare providers. Um, the American College of Physicians actually recommends against systematic self-breast examination, and the American Academy of Family Physicians recommends against women teaching against clinicians teaching women to breast self-examine. And they also state that current evidence is insufficient um, to assess the benefits and harms of clinical breast exam by a healthcare provider, as well as the digital breast tomosynthesis or 3D mammogram over the traditional 2D mammogram. Um, now I will discuss every screening method um, individually. I will start with a breast self-examination. It's been shown that it does not reduce breast cancer mortality, and there is no significant improvement in the number of cancers detected or the stage at which this cancer would be detected. On the other hand, it is associated with a twofold increase in breast biopsies in the breast cancer self-exam group. As a result, the USPSTF, um, American College of Physicians, and American Academy of Family Practice recommends against clinicians teaching women how to perform breast self-examination. On the other hand, um, the American Cancer Society and American College of Obstetrician Gynecologists recommend breast self-awareness, and if any um, breast change is noticed or felt, um, the patient can, should report it promptly to their um, healthcare providers. How about clinical breast examination by a healthcare provider? The USPSTF states that there is insufficient evidence to recommend for or against um, clinical breast examination as an adjunct to screening mammography in women older than 40. The American Cancer Society, while it does not recommend regular clinical breast examination uh, or breast self-exams as part of a routine breast cancer screening schedule, this doesn't mean that the, these exams should never be done, and actually they recommend that women be familiar with the way their breasts look and feel, and they should report any changes to their healthcare providers. In regards to the American College of Obstetrician Gynecology, um, while they um, uh, address the issue of uncertainty of additional benefits and possibility of adverse consequences, 
they recommend that the screening clinical breast examination be offered to asymptomatic average risk women. In the context of making that informed, uh, shared decision, um, and if done, um, the interval is recommended as every one to three years for women aged 25 to 39, and annually for women uh, older than 40. As far as um, screening mammography, the traditional uh, 2D mammography includes two views of each breast. Each requires one to four seconds of radiation exposure, and there's a need for two additional views if the patient has breast implants. The reported sensitivity varies between 75 to 89 percent, and it depends on technical quality, with the newer technologies being better. It depends on the radiologist and also on the patient characteristics, particularly on the density of breast tissue. Many patients ask about the radiation exposure associated to a mammogram, and that exposure is equivalent to 70 millirems or 0.7 millisieverts. Um, and in regards to putting that in perspective, a flight from Los Angeles to New York exposes um, someone to 3.5 millirems. A dental and a chest X-ray is associated with less radiation exposure than a mammogram. And the background radiation is um, 50 millirems per month, and that varies according to geographic location in the world. In addition to the risk related to radiation exposure, um, there's also the risk of false negatives and false positives. It is estimated that 10% of women are recalled for additional views, and out of the 1% uh, who undergo biopsy as a result of a false positive, um, only 25 to 40% of these biopsies um, end up being malignant. How about the 2D mammograms versus the 3D mammograms? The 3D mammogram or digital breast tomosynthesis involves multiple uh, X-ray image acquisition, which then uh, reconstructs the breast in true 3D, like a CT, but associated with less radiation. The discomfort of having a 3D mammogram versus a 2D mammogram is similar. And the radiation dose is, uh, while it was initially higher for the 3D mammography um, at the, at when it was introduced, the new low-dose 3D mammography now uses less radiation than a 2D mammogram. In regards to um, uh, the specificity um, of 3D versus 2D, um, it's interesting to mention um, based on um, many tens of thousands of screening events analyzed in um, JAMA Oncology, that there was a significant recall reduction of 16%. Um, and in regards to those who are recalled, um, there was a 41% increase in invasive cancer detection. Also, there was a decline in interval cancer development uh, for women screened with 3D, that was 0.5 per 1,000 women screened, as opposed to 0.7 per 1,000 women screened with 2D. So it is a more sensitive and more specific method. It is also more expensive. 
Um, but Medicare began covering 3D mammography in 2015. So some states are beginning to mandate coverage um, uh, from private insurance. Some insurers in certain states will not cover, others will charge women a surcharge for the 3D screening. So what are the recommendations for screening mammography um, based on uh, different organizations? The USPSTF recommends an individualized decision-making for the age 40 to 49. Every two-year mammography for the age group 50 to 75, and for older than 75, they're insufficient, they state there is insufficient evidence to recommend for or against screening mammography. They also state that they don't have enough evidence to recommend uh, 3D mammography versus 2D, or um, the value of MRI for screening and average risk women. The American Cancer Society, on the other hand, recommends yearly mammograms for women 45 to 54. They recommend that women age 40 to 44 should have the option of starting screening mammography every year, and that women 55 and older should be screened every one to two years for as long as a woman is in good health and is expected to live at least another decade. They also mention that all women should understand what to expect when they get a mammogram and what the test can and cannot do to detect an early-stage breast cancer. The American College of Obstetrician Gynecology recommends that the decision about the age to be begin mammography screening should be individualized and shared between the patient and her provider, who should inform the patient about the potential benefits and harms of mammography. And they recommend a mammogram every one to two years for ages 40 to 55, and a mammogram every two years for women 55 to 75 years of age. Beyond the age of 75, they recommend a shared decision-making uh, informed by the women's health status and expected longevity. The American College of Radiology um, mention, recommends annual screening, um, and they state that if screening of women would be performed every other year, as recommended by the U.S. Preventative Service Task Force or the American College of Physicians, that may result in up to 10,000 additional breast cancer deaths in the United States every year which is why they recommend annual mammograms start at the age of 40 and continue as long as they are in good health. And they issued a rebuttal of the USPSTF guidelines. The comment uh, of USPSTF that there's a low incidence of breast cancer for women younger than 60, um, the comment from the American Cancer Society to that regard is that the majority of in situ cancers and nearly half of all breast cancers occur in women under the age of 60. And of course, because these women are younger, the majority of life years lost to breast cancer occur in women who are diagnosed um, at a younger age. The USPSTF also states that every other year mammography screening results in no significant difference in breast cancer mortality. But the ACR comments that there haven't been any randomized controlled trials to this effect 
In fact, the actual models that were used by the USPSTF in establishing their guidelines and also used by the American Cancer Society, they actually do show a decline in deaths amongst women screened annually versus every other year. So when there is such a difference of opinion, what is the rationale of the USPSTF when they uh, issued their guidelines? They did publish the number needed to invite to screening to extend one woman's life. And for women aged 40 to 49, that number is 1,904 women. Um, and the relative risk reduction of mortality in women inviting for screening would be 15%. Not dissimilar to the age 50 to 59, um, where if you would invite 1,339 women for, to screening, the reduction in breast cancer mortality would be 14%. They also estimate that screening women aged 50 to 69 would decrease breast cancer mortality by 17%. Screening started at the age of 40 would provide only an additional 3% reduction in breast cancer deaths, and extended screening over the age of 70 to 79 uh, would provide an additional 7% decrease in breast cancer mortality. So it's a question of statistical benefit of um, of reduction in uh, breast cancer mortality at different age groups. The USPSTF also used um, the issue of harm associated with screening, and they consider the harms moderate for every age group considered. It goes from psychological harm of inconvenience, uh, unnecessary imaging tests and biopsies in women who actually do not have cancer, it also uh, considers the harm associated with treatment of cancer that would not have been clinically apparent during a woman's life um, over diagnosis. Um, they look into radiation exposure, and they also comment that false positive results are more common in younger women aged 40 to 49, whereas overdiagnosis would be a greater concern for women in older age groups. So they say that the, their analysis of benefit and harm led to the current recommendation for screening. Now, do women agree with, uh, with the USPSTF that false positive results are a significant harm? The majority of a, a survey of almost 500 women uh, felt that 500 or more false positives per life saved is a reasonable trade-off. Uh, with the knowledge of uh, every thousand women in their 40s who are screened, 80 to 100 would be called back and 10 to 13 will have an unnecessary biopsy. These um, women that were screened in the survey thought that it was an uh, uh, acceptable trade-off to save a life. So there's a lot of controversy between different organizations when it comes to the age and the interval screening. But when the Centers for Disease Control reported um, um, even the use of a mammogram every two years for women 50 to 65, the state of the nation is that 71% complied with the recommendation. And this proportion has been relatively stable since the year 2000. So I guess 
the issuance of these guidelines from different organizations haven't really made such a big difference in real-life screening. It is important to mention from the CDC um, that Asians, American Indian, and Alaskan um, uh, uh, ethnic groups have much less screening than others, that women who live below poverty level the uninsured and yeah, uh, and newer immigrants to this country have a significant lower rate of screening than other groups. So even if we would be able to increase the adoption of the USPSDF guidelines, um, that would be a major public health victory. One other issue that I wanted to discuss um, was a study that was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine that tried to assess um, the balance of benefits and harms of starting mammography at the age of 40 in women who have additional risk factors and what would be those risk factors that would make a woman age 40 um, have the same benefits than an average risk woman older than 50. So they came up with a conclusion that for women aged 40 to 49 who have a twofold increased risk, these women have a similar net benefit from um, biennial screening mammography as an average risk woman aged 50 to 54. So that's an important factor in that shared decision making that a woman 40 to 49 years of age should have while discussing with a healthcare provider and deciding if she's a good candidate for initiating mammography screening. So they looked at a systematic review of 65 studies, and they came up with a conclusion that these risk factors increased breast cancer risk, um, extremely dense breasts, first-degree relatives with breast cancer, particularly if they had cancer at a young age, a previous history of a benign breast biopsy, current oral contraceptive use, nulliparity, and age older than 30 at the first birth. And like I said, these factors may inform the decision of women and their physicians and healthcare providers whereas they should initiate breast cancer screening at a younger age than currently recommended. And here are the relative risks increase rates. Um, for a woman who has a first-degree relative with breast cancer, um, she has a two, more than two-fold increased risk, particularly if she has two or more relatives or if the relatives were diagnosed at a younger than 40 age. Also, uh, in very increased breast density reported as BIRADS category 4 offers a higher than two-fold increased risk um, of breast cancer. If the patient had a prior benign biopsy result, a second degree relative with breast cancer, or a category 3 BIRADS breast density, the risk increases between 1.5 and twofold. And other factors that increase the risk by less than 1.5 fold are current oral contraceptive use, nulliparity, and age at first birth of 30 or older. In regards to breast density, um, California passed a law that requires that all women with dense breasts are notified after undergoing screening mammography 
and they're essentially informed that they should discuss with their healthcare provider in order to make further decisions about screening. What makes it complicated is that there's really no evidence-based guideline or standard of care for a woman with dense breasts. So a lot of that discussion has to do with um, perhaps doing a 3D mammogram as opposed to a 2D mammogram, adding an ultrasound or an MRI. Um, in uh, academic breast centers, like uh, at UCLA where I work, oftentimes the breast radiologist makes a recommendation in addition to um, additional tests for screening according to their findings of breast density. How about mammography for older women? We have limited data on that, and of course competing comorbidities should be taken into account. So um, the USPSDF, although they acknowledge that extending screening um, to include women aged 70 to 75, pro 79, provides an additional 7% decrease in breast cancer mortality, they do state uh, in the end that there's insufficient evidence to recommend for or against mammography in a woman who's older than 75. The American Geriatric Society recommends continuation of screening if there are four or more years of life expectancy and an adequate functional status, while the American Cancer Society recommends um, an individualized decision-making based on the longevity, the health status, and the benefits and risks of screening. How about ultrasound for screening? Um, the value of the ultrasound is that it can detect cystic versus solid features in a lesion, and also it can assess vascularity. <clears throat> it should not be done individually um, and only in addition to mammogram um, in terms of breast cancer screening, and it is useful in that context in detecting small invasive breast cancer in women with dense breast or who have otherwise high risk. <clears throat> Ultrasound is insensitive to calcification, so a DCIS, ductal carcinoma in situ, cannot be diagnosed on the base of an ultrasound. It is operator dependent. Uh, the more experienced operator will um, be better at diagnosing. And it's unclear if there is a survival benefit from using ultrasound for screening. For women who have ultrasound, um, the rate of biopsy is 2 to 6%, of which only 10% end up being malignant. And for each case of cancer detected, there are 330 initial examinations, 16 follow-up studies, 10 needle biopsies, and 4 surgical biopsies. So the addition of the ultrasound should be well thought of um, when a recommendation is made um, to use it in addition to screening mammography. In 2012, the FDA approved an automated breast ultrasound system, which screens the whole breast, and they recommend that this be used in combination with mammography and not alone in order to better assess the risk for women with dense breasts. It does scan the whole breast as opposed to um, the usual diagnostic mammogram, uh, diagnostic ultrasound, which is usually focused at a specific area or a lesion that uh, was diagnosed in a patient's breast. How about MRI for screening? It is an expensive method. 
at a cycle dependent on premenopausal women and should be performed early in the menstrual cycle. It takes a long time, uh, 20 minutes in the scanner and then the time associated with the injection of IV contrast. And DCIS is hard to diagnose because microcalcifications are not well seen on mammography because they have low vascularity. So MRI as well should be used in combination with mammogram when indicated for screening. It is best for high-risk women. It has a higher sensitivity than mammography, a lower specificity, which leads to twice as many additional examination and three times as many benign biopsies. So it should be used as a supplement to mammography for screening, and it is unclear if it offers survival benefit um, in average-risk women. The issue of contrast, the gadolinium um, used um, in breast MRI, um, uh, the reason to use gadolinium is to identify areas of neovascularity. But there's a concern that gadolinium can be retained in the brain, and that comes from a study um, in uh, radiology in 2014. And, um, and there are interesting positions uh, based on this um, information. The FDA stated that there's no clinical evidence that directly links gadolinium retention to adverse health effects in patients who have a normal kidney function. So as a result, uh, they say that the benefit of um, these contrast, gadolinium-based contrast agents continues to outweigh the risks. Whereas uh, the European Medicines Agency recommended restricting the use of some of these contrast agents and suspending the marketing authorization for others, citing concerns about gadolinium deposition in the brain. How about the American Cancer Society guidelines on screening MRI? Um, they do recommend MRI in addition to mammogram for high-risk women. Um, these women can be BRCA mutation carriers or untested first-degree relatives of BRCA mutation carriers. If they have a lifetime risk estimate of at least 20 to 25% of developing breast cancer, women with a history of chest radiation for cancer between the ages of 10 and 30, and certain genetic syndrome in certain patients or their first-degree relatives. It is important to say that um, it's about less than 2% of all women in the U.S. who would qualify based on these criteria. If they do, most of these women should begin having annual MRIs in addition to mammograms at the age of 30. And also the American Cancer Society recommends that women who are diagnosed with breast cancer should have an MRI of the contralateral breast because 3 to 9% of them will have an occult malignancy. For women whose lifetime risk is 15 to 20%, um, they should discuss with their doctors about the risks and benefits of MRI screening. And these women are women who, with personal history of ductal carcinoma in situ, lobular carcinoma in situ, a typical doctor hyperplasia or a typical lobular hyperplasia on biopsy or who have very dense breasts on mammogram. In regards to women whose lifetime risk is less than 15%, the American Cancer Society guidelines recommend against MRI screening.
I get less of this question lately about thermography, um, but essentially what the recommendation is, is that um, this is not a successful method of screening, uh, whether it's used alone or in conjunction with mammography. For women at high risk of breast cancer, ductal lavage is also a potential screening method. And essentially, it um, is, uh, implies collecting duct epithelial cells for risk stratification. Cytological atypia confers a significant risk increase, um, uh, which would be similar to atypical hyperplasia on a biopsy. It is an uncomfortable procedure uh, with a pain score of 22 on a scale of 0 to 10, and it should be reserved to high-risk patients. Um, if it's performed in that group, the incidence of atypical cells is 24% by ductal lavage and 21% by random periareolar bilateral breast biopsies. So if the patient has a personal history of breast cancer, if they're BRCA positive, if they have more than two premenopausal relatives, if they've been on hormone therapy for over 10 years, or they have an estimated uh, risk of more than 1%, 1.7% based on the Gale model, they could be potentially candidates for ductal lavage. But um, it's not up to us, the primary care doctors, to um, decide that. I think for these particular patients, they would be better served by being referred to a breast specialist. Um, there are new and experimental tests that are being um, evaluated. These are not standard of care. Um, but there are nuclear medicine tests like scintimammography and breast-specific gamma imaging, which is studied for dense breasts to be used in addition to mammograms. The positron emission mammography, um, which is now studied with, in women with breast cancer cells to determine the extent of the cancer, which can be perhaps present outside of the palpable area. Optical imaging, um, essentially light passes through the breast tissue and then it returns um, and is measured um, at the level of the skin. And it is used in addition to mammogram ultrasound or MRI, as well as electrical impedance imaging, which um, is based on the principle that breast cancer cell conduct electricity differently from normal cells. And lastly, elastography, which is done with ultrasound, and it is based on the principle that breast cancer tend to be firmer and stiffer than the surrounding breast tissue. Again, none of this is standard of care. Now let's talk about the risk assessment and risk evaluation. There are certain personal factors like age, race, and breast characteristics. We will discuss that individually, as well as genetic factors. Also, estrogen exposure and other hormonal factors like hormone therapy, early menarche, late menopause, nulliparity, and having a first childbirth after the age of 30. Also, radiation exposure to the chest for other cancers, as well as the role of environmental factor and lifestyle factor. And I will discuss that individually. In regards to the risk assessment, um, we can use the Gale model, which is the most commonly used model. And that takes into account the current age, age at menarche, 
age at first live childbirth, the number of biopsies, history of atypical hyperplasia, number of affected first-degree relatives, and the race. And this is a, a tool that can be used for free um, online. The class model is used more for people who had an extended family history. And there's a software that's used to calculate every possible combination of relatives, and it's displayed in a table that provides the greatest risk estimate for that particular patient. So it's a family history-based model. Now let's talk about each individual factors. Um, breast cancer risk increases with age, and you can see 85% of cases happen in women over 50. And if you want to present to the patient their probability of developing breast cancer over the next 10 years, definitely the highest probability is in women aged 60 to 69. How about race and breast cancer? Caucasian are at the highest rate of breast cancer per 100,000 women, followed by African Americans, American Indian and Alaska Natives, Hispanics and um, the lowest incidence in Asian Americans. How about breast characteristics? If the patient had a benign breast biopsy uh, that is not atypical hyperplasia, the relative risk would be between 1.3 and 1.9, but having atypical hyperplasia confers a relative risk of more than four. Whereas the highest quartile density of mammography, according to um, uh, different reports, the relative risk increase varies anywhere from 1.8 to 6 times um, over regular breast density. How about estrogen exposure? Having menarche at the age of 12, or less than 12, late menopause, first child after the age of 30, nulliparity, Hormone therapy versus no hormone therapy, moderate alcohol consumption, highest quartile bone uh, breast uh, dense, uh, bone mineral density, um, and oral contraceptives, they all confer an in risk increase um, related to estrogen exposure. Now, for women who are at high risk related to genetic mutations, um, they should be tested for these genetic mutations if they have two first-degree relatives with breast cancer, one of whom was diagnosed younger than 50. If they have three or more first- or second-degree relatives diagnosed with breast cancer. If there's breast and ovarian cancer amongst first- and second-degree relatives. If there's a first-degree relative diagnosed with cancer in both breasts. If there are two or more first or second degree relatives diagnosed with ovarian cancer or one male relative or more with breast cancer. So for these situations, women should be tested for the BRCA mutation. There are special populations that are at a higher risk. For example, women of Ashkenazi Jewish heritage. Um, and in this group, there are two mutations of BRCA1 and one mutation of BRCA2 that occur at a frequency of 2.3 in this population. So the referral for genetic testing is actually uh, more stringent in that if they have one first-degree relative with breast or ovarian cancer, they should be tested. Or if they have two second-degree relatives on the same side of the family with breast or ovarian cancer. 
So if they have these mutations, which are autosomal dominant with incomplete penetrance, um, these mutations account for 5% of all breast cancer, but for 85% of hereditary breast and ovarian cancers. The lifetime risk of breast cancer is very high, 72% for BRCA1 and 69% for BRCA2, and half of these cancers occur before the age of 50. So it is very important for their primary care providers to assess the risk of these women and make the appropriate referral for genetic testing. So how do we screen these women who have a lifetime risk of more than 20%? The American, College, American Cancer Society recommends annual MRI for high-risk women as an adjunct to mammography started at the age of 30, but they give us no guidance about the ultrasound as a potential screening method. The USPSTF recommends annual mammography at the age of 40, but they give no ultrasound or MRI guidance. The National Cancer Network recommends monthly breast self-examination at beginning at the age of 18, biannual clinical breast exams beginning at 25, and then annual mammograms and MRIs. And also they offer no guidance regarding the role of the ultrasound. How about environmental factors increasing the risk of breast cancer or decreasing the risk of breast cancer? And this is from the American Cancer Society. Having children, uh, nuliparous women or women who have their first child after the age of 30 have a higher risk. Having many pregnancies and becoming pregnant at a young age confers a risk reduction. Any amount of alcohol consumption increasing the risk, not as much for a drink a day, significantly more for two to five drinks a day, and that's 1.5 times the risk of non-drinkers. High body weight and weight gain as an adult increases the risk of postmenopausal breast cancer. Breastfeeding has a protective effect, especially if done for a long time. How about exogenous hormones? The oral contraceptives are associated with a slight increase in current users who are younger than 35, whereas menopausal hormone therapy in average risk women is associated with an increased risk with estrogen and progestin and decreased risk with estrogen only, and this is based on the Women's Health Initiative results. In regards to exercise, um, two or more hours a day of exercise most day of the week reduces the risk by 30%, which is remarkable, but there are not too many patients who are able to achieve that level of exercise. The risk reduction is associated to a change in the metabolism of estrogen. The Women's Health Initiative reported a risk reduction of 18% in women who exercise by an hour, 0.25 to two and a half hour of brisk walking a week, uh, which is an attainable goal for most of our patients. Environmental factors with unclear effect on risk, diet, um, for example, rich in vegetables versus poultry, fish, low-fat dairy products. Um, this diet has been linked with a lower risk in some studies, but it's not clear if there are any specific vegetables or fruit or any other specific foods that can lower the risk. In regards to environmental chemicals like plastic bottles or deodorants or pesticide, it is unclear um, if they have an effect on the risk. 
bras have no effect, abortion or miscarriage has no effect, breast implant um, does not confer increased risk. Smoking, there's a suggestion that it increases the risk, but there's insufficient evidence to state that. Interestingly, there's a possible increased risk in women who do night shift work. So I will present to you in conclusion a few scenarios um, and uh, discuss what would be a good risk uh, profile and a risk um, screening for this women. So let's suppose you have a 44-year-old woman who um, comes to your clinic and she states that her mother has a history of breast cancer. If you follow the USPSTF guidelines, they do state the decision to start screening mammography in women prior to the age of 50 should be an individualized decision. Whereas the American Cancer Society recommends that women aged 40 to 44, like this patient, should have the choice to start annual breast cancer screening with mammograms if they wish to do so, and that the healthcare provider should explain the risks of screening, um, false positives, potential biopsies, psychological harm, etc., as well as the potential benefits in this age group whereas the American College of Obstetrician Gynecologist and the American College of Radiology recommend screening with mammography annually. So if you think of um, the risk increase um, that having a first-degree relative confers to your patient, this is a higher than twofold risk increase. Um, so I would recommend that this woman uh, considers starting having breast cancer screening with mammography, even though she's younger than 50. If her mother was diagnosed with breast cancer at an age less than 40, her risk increase is actually threefold, the patient's risk increase. So she should seriously consider starting having mammograms yearly at her age of 44. Let's say the same 44-year-old woman um, comes in with three different scenarios. Let's say that she takes oral contraceptives. Should she uh, have yearly mammograms? The relative risk increase is 1.3 uh, for women who use oral contraceptives. So um, she really has a choice as, as far as having a mammogram versus waiting until the age of 50 because her risk increase is not that high. If the same woman um, would have a breast density, which is a BIRADS category 3, um, with a note that the highest uh, is BIRADS category 4, that would offer her a risk increase of 1.6. So while it's not a twofold increase, um, this increase in breast density um, could be a case that she should have um, screening mammograms, um, uh, perhaps starting at 45. How about if this woman had um, radiotherapy for Hodgkin's lymphoma at the age of 21? Then this would be a high-risk patient with a lifetime risk of breast cancer of higher than 20 to 25%. So she should really have yearly mammograms and yearly MRIs and increased surveillance um, as her risk is higher. 
how about a 75 year old woman um, if she's in very good health and has no family history of breast cancer and no chronic illnesses it would make sense to consider um, uh, screening her with mammograms but it is not recommended by the u.s uh, preventative task force uh, but it is recommended by other organizations like the American Cancer Society or the American College of Radiology. If a same-aged woman is bedridden in a nursing home with multiple comorbidities, even if she has a positive family history or increased breast density on mammogram, I don't think that that would be an appropriate candidate to continue breast cancer screening. I will be happy to answer any questions that you may have in regards to my presentation about breast cancer screening. Uh, please send your question to PrimeMed and I will be happy to answer the question. Thank you very much uh, for listening to my presentation. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.